I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 328 of Low Limit Football on this 30th of May, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Chelsea wins their second Champions League title by beating Manchester City 1-0 in Porto. Villarreal win their first European trophy as they take the Europa League title in Gdansk after an 11-10 penalty shootout against Manchester United. Unai Emery wins his fourth Europa League title. David Alaba is set to leave Bayern Munich on a big money transfer to Real Madrid. The coaching carousel sees an insane 72 hour period with top coaches at top clubs all changing addresses. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our good friend and special guest, Nima Tavale from SemperInter.com, who'll be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Uh, this carousel man has just broken off the wheels and gone down the street, hasn't it? I mean, after everything you discussed, it kind of feels like a quiet week. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing quiet about this week, my friend. Absolutely nothing. And we're, and we're just getting started, obviously, because you know, with the, the domestic season over, you know, we got international season, we got World Cup qualifiers, we got Copa America, we got Euros. There's, it doesn't stop. It yeah. does not stop. You know, actually, you know what? The, you know, the only break we get is like today and tomorrow. And then it all starts to ramp right back up again. That's right, yeah, because uh, Thursday is the South American World Cup qualifiers, and then obviously that leads into the Copa America, then the Euros. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll enjoy this break, but, you know, it's not going to be a break because <laughs> then you're going to probably see, like, a bunch of transfers being made, a lot of managerial changes. So, no, there is no break, Joe. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. I, I saw I saw you back and forth with Cecilia Lagos this morning, and I said and she's talked about her sleep cycle just getting thrown out the window. And I'm like, how could your sleep cycle even be on right Right now it's so crazy um yeah just just i'm gonna i'm gonna need like i'm not a coffee drinker but i think i'm gonna start doing it right now yeah, at this point intravenously <laughs> more like sane. it yeah it's just it's been an absolutely insane week um and and like like you said it's we've really only had two matches um and it's been like the busiest week ever like like you said it was like a quiet week you know you're just supposed to have a match on wednesday match on saturday we come in we talk about it everyone's happy and then we take a couple of days off before we get back into the swing of things and and none of that happened uh, it's, it's just one of those those crazy crazy weeks and you know and we're going to get to discuss a lot of that with uh, with Nima in just a few minutes so first though we have the uh the duty and honor of trivia and sir it is your honor so if you want to hit me with it i will uh, do my best i will try to see if i can stump you on this one um so obviously going into the final we did see manchester city make their european cup final debut mm -hmm. they are because of that lost to chelsea they are now the eight team to make the it's a european cup final debut since 2000 and all eight of them have lost so obviously city Joins the likes of PSG, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Monaco, Bayer Leverkusen, and Valencia to have made their Champions League debut mm -hmm. and lose. Who was the last team, and obviously give me the, the, the team and the year, the last team 
to win the Champions League in its first finals appearance. Wow. Um, I'm just writing this down. And is it Champions League era or European Cup? Um, well, this year, it was still the Champions it, it became the Champions League at this point. So, okay. yeah. That is a tough one. Um, I did see the list that you talk about, about the teams losing their first finals. And, I, you know, right. the, like you said, Arsenal and, and so on and so forth. But I, I'm trying to remember who it was that won their first appearance. Um, or the last team to win its first final. The last team to win its first appearance. So, I, yeah, let me uh, let me give that some thought, and then we'll get back to you with the, with the answer uh, at the end of the show. So, opening thoughts. And opening thoughts is really surrounding the actual matches that were played this week. Uh, you know, Europa League and Champions League. Europa League 1-1 draw between Villarreal and Manchester United, going to a penalty shootout that was possibly one of the most magnificent penalty shootouts we've ever seen. Uh, 11-10 to, uh, to, to Villarreal in a kind of a David De Gea howler at the end. Um, we're going to talk about that one, and then we'll talk about as well the 1-0 Man City victory. I'm sorry, 1-0 Chelsea victory over Man City in the Champions League final yesterday. Let's start with the Europa real quick, uh, just to touch on it. 11-10 in, in shootout uh style there it, it was and it got down to goalkeepers uh really for uh for uh, Villarreal and David De Gea really I mean buried a penalty kick for me Roberto that was textbook it was clinical it was you you'd have thought he was their top striker and the guy that takes all their penalties it was that clean of a penalty take and then De Gea just with an absolute flubbing of of a howler um De Gea didn't save any penalties at all I, be, I believe the stat is he hasn't saved a penalty in like five years. Um, yeah, I saw something like that as well. Which is insane to me to think because, you know, we've we've very oftenly talked about uh, David De Gea being one of the top five to ten goalkeepers in the world. And to see that he hasn't saved a penalty at all just makes you, you know, makes you question it. But at the same time, you know, fair credit to the penalty takers for uh, Villarreal because they were all clinical. I mean, every single penalty. If you ever wanted to show a documentary as to how to take a penalty kick, Show that uh, show show that video because those all the way up to De Gea's penalty, they were all textbook. They were all perfect. They were all clinical. They were all clean, power placement, everything. It was just it was magnificent. Um, and the and the match itself wasn't that bad either. Um, obviously, uh, Villarreal opening the scoring in the in the first half, and then United coming back. What were your thoughts on the overall match, how it was played, and uh, and you know what we saw ultimately in that match? Yeah, I mean, obviously from the penalty shootout, I think I agree. I think we did see a lot of great penalties taken, uh, obviously besides the one from De Gea. But ultimately, I, I think it was a, a, a final that was really tight. And I think obviously we'll talk about another final in a bit. But certainly, I think Villarreal you know, came in kind of as underdogs. And I know we made the wrong prediction. Um, or at least I said that you know I wouldn't be surprised if Villarreal were to win because obviously if their manager was and his success in that tournament. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think I think it was really a match that was was very tight, and you know it kind of felt as if though they were going for penalties. I don't know. Um, obviously, it's uh, I mean it's it, it sucks for anyone who has to be in the losing end of a of a European Cup final, especially in the manner that they did in the Champions League. I'm uh, sorry, in the in a penalty shootout, but I I, I think it's a, it's a remarkable story. It's yeah. a remarkable story, you know, a, a town of what fifty thousand people or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at the trend and the um and the broadcast at CBS. It's it's remarkable. It's yeah. remarkable to see uh, a city like Villarreal, who you know have kind of punched above their weight for quite some time. I think they've been in the first division since two thousand thirteen, so only eight years removed, and here they are winning their their European Cup, uh, one of their yeah European honors. Um, but ultimately, a great side. I think with Manchester United. You know, unlucky that they couldn't do it um, under 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 Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think they they still have a a good side, making it to second place in the Premier League. Obviously, <laughs> not being as great as their their noisy neighbors, but you know, ultimately, I think they can build onto that and and see what they can build from like obviously in next year. Um, but obviously, I think it's a remarkable story for for a side like Villarreal with the, the limited resources that they have. I mean, obviously, they have great players at their disposal, like uh, like Ruli in goal, like um, Dani Barejo, Paul Torres, uh, Jared Moreno, you know, scoring all those goals. I think um, it was a a wonderful 
story and a good fairy tale ending for them, and let's see how they can they can bring this up in, in the Champions League because that's that's ultimately what they're doing now. They're they're, they're in the Champions League, I and mean, they haven't been in the Champions League in in quite some time. So I'm I'm going to be very it's going to be very interesting to see how they battle it out in that uh, in that stage. Um, because they, they can really surprise people. And they've kind of done that even in the league. I mean, yes, they, they finished seventh, but, you know, they, they kind of been that kind of, um, what's it called, the, the word that they use, like a bogey team in a way for a lot of these big teams, like Real Madrid, Barca, Sevilla, Atleti. Um, so, yeah, I personally would not underestimate this side in any of the competitions, especially if Emery's still um, at the helm. Yeah, banana skin um, would be the, the, the term that I would use. That's the kind of team they are. Um, and again, like you said, finished seventh in La Liga this year. La Liga is going to put five teams now into the Champions League next year since Villarreal will be joining uh, Sevilla, Atleti, Barca, and Real Madrid in that one. Uh, and like you said, the goal scorers, Gerard Moreno, scored the first goal, 29th minute, and uh, and then it was drawn level by Edson Cavani. Um, who, who, I, who I have to say, Joe, yeah. I think has been their remarkable signing of the season. Absolutely. And I think has been absolutely sensational since he's gotten there. And and. In a way, it's kind of a testament of his career because, you know, he maybe he's not, well, I, I personally think he's valued as one of the better strikers of his generation, but for the way that he's been able to be so consistent in all the teams that he's been at, I think it's it's a testament of the wonderful career that he's had so far. Yeah, my, my message to all uh, front office people in uh, in European football, do not discard Uruguayan strikers. Or get so, or just get someone <laughs> like a Cavani with that kind of mentality. Luis Suarez. Yeah, there you go. Think about it. You know, think about it. They, they came on freeze. Yeah, both those they came on freeze. They were teams. kind of all cast off by their former teams. And uh, and here they are scoring big goals and big matches. Um, like I said, don't don't throw away your Aguayan strikers because it'll it might come back to haunt you. That, um, that makes me nervous saying that because given that Paraguay play Uruguayan in the World Cup <laughs> qualifiers on Thursday, that that just makes me much more nervous. No, that, don't let's not get ahead of ourselves. There's there's a lot more to talk about. Um, so let's go to the Champions League match. Uh, Man City obviously dropping the uh, the one nil result to Chelsea. Uh, Kai Havertz in the 42nd minute. That was kind of the, one of the big questions going into this match was uh, would Havertz start would Christian Pulisic start and they started uh, Havertz Thomas Tuchel started Havertz um, and he delivered I think he had a fantastic match uh, I think many of the Chelsea faithful were probably surprised at it um, you have Edward Mendy uh, the first African to ever win uh, a Champions League uh, from goal uh, you have Christian Pulisic the first American to win a Champions League title having played in the match he got into this match in the 66th minute uh, almost scored a goal in it too uh, had a had a fantastic link up play um, in that uh, in that second half, I'm sorry, I, I'm mistaken. The second American to win it. Um, this this was marred by a couple of, of big injuries. Thiago Silva comes out of this match early in the 39th minute with what looked to be either a groin or a hamstring injury, and then uh, and then obviously you had the big uh, injury to Kevin De Bruyne in the 66 uh, the 60th minute with uh, the or uh, the orbital fracture and uh, and nose fracture, and then we're gonna have to see what his status will be for the Euros coming up. But um, this match to me played a little more to uh a little more actively let's say than what i expected usually these matches especially champions league final we've seen it time and time again that first 30 minutes is kind of bleh it's kind of drab because nobody wants to make a mistake and i didn't see that here this was certainly much more open um it was much more free-flowing and and certainly at that point because of those things much more enjoyable to watch um, although probably not for City and Chelsea fans because they were probably at the edge of their seats the whole match. But this was a very good overall match, and, and, and it was well played by both teams. Um, and Tuchel returns his first Champions League title, and Guardiola continues to search for it. What were your thoughts on this particular um, this matchup? Yeah, I think I have to agree with you that if you're a neutral on this one, or even if you have a side to pick, even if you want it, um, I think this was quite enjoyable. And thankfully, none of us, uh, Joe, support either of, these, either of these teams. So it obviously makes it more entertaining to watch. Um, no, I think it was a really good final. I think ultimately, you know, that going back to what you said about, you know, obviously the man that scored the winning goal, I think that was kind of the doubt. I kind of felt in a way that it was the right decision from Tuchel because as great as we want Christian Pulisic to start and, and you know, he can be effective on his day, I just don't think he was ready for this yet. I think he still, at the moment, is that kind of impact super sub, which he obviously came in and kind of became that once he um, entered in the second half. But no, I, I think it was ultimately a really good game. I think, I think, um, 
I think Pep Guardiola's, you know, managing of the of the team was very much questionable. I mean, you know, not starting a a natural defensive midfielder or or even a, a natural number nine is concerning, um, and it kind of cost him in a way. Um, obviously, it will be very interesting to see how City and you know they've won everything domestically, so I doubt anything will will happen to them, but. You know, I think now it's kind of that feeling of like, okay, we've spent all this money, $1.2 billion, Joe, can you believe it? $1.2 billion that he, that the, that the club has spent and to only make it to one Champions League final is unacceptable, I'll have to admit. Um, so pressure's really on him now, you know, to really, really, really perform next season. But credit to Chelsea, I think, you know, very happy for someone like Thomas Tuchel, who, you know, one year removed was playing in this final, lost to a really good Bayern Munich side, gets sacked in the middle of the season at PSG, and then comes in and, and kind of transforms the side as, as European champions. I mean, credit to them, credit to a really good side. And I think the jewel in that crown, and, you know, obviously we know how big fanboys we are, if we can use that term, uh, Joe, uh, but N'Golo Conte, wow, mm-hmm. stellar. I mean, if, if you're looking at a potential Ballon d'Or candidate, and obviously everything will be dependent on what happens in the Euros, and you know, I don't like to play recency biases on this end, but I mean, after the performances that you've had, this he's, he's a serious contender for that. So yeah, credit to Chelsea and um, credit to an amazing season for them to turn it around after everything that had gone wrong with Lampard. I think it's it's the perfect reward to have as European Cup champions. I think Ungolo Conte was listed as man of the match in the final four matches of Champions League play for Chelsea, right. if I remember correctly. That's so, right. uh, yeah, just an incredible display from him. We, we saw him do it uh, three years ago. I'm sorry, yeah, three years ago now at the World Cup. Um, he was one of the key figures in France's midfield. Really, one of the key figures that allowed Paul Pogba to play so well in that World Cup, um, you know, overall, at least in my opinion. And moving forward, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's always tough for the midfielders or defender to win that title because th- there's always the focus on goals. How many goals have we scored? That's why we see Messi and Ronaldo win that year, that title year in and year out. Uh, you know, Lewandowski as well with, with all the goals he scored last year. We, we see those types of players doing it. You know, it's very rare that you see somebody stray from that. Uh, you know, the ones that come to mind, obviously, Luka Modric. Um, but again, that that was in, you know, because of his World Cup display in 2018, like guys like Fabio Cannavaro, who who won it in 2006 based on the World Cup play for Italy. Those are the names that that do it and they have to do it in a in a situation that goes so far above and beyond the goal scoring because everybody wants to be pretty and score goals. So, you know, isn't Golo Conte that next possible non striker Ballon d'Or winner? Yeah, I think he can be. You know, you have to ask yourself right now, is he the best midfielder in the world right now? And 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 it's it's kind of a baited question because you know, everyone looks at De Bruyne and his and his offensive capabilities, you know, and that sort of thing. But but Conte is is very special and uh I think it was um I forget who it was. It was somebody on the CBS broadcast yesterday that said that um you know, we talk about Claude Makaleli, uh and, and we, we almost name positions after players. You know, the, and they call it the Makaleli role in that in terms of that defensive midfielder side. Is is when all is said and done, are we gonna talk about the N'Golo Conte role? You know, yes, that, you know one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Because that's that's what he's developing. He's developing that type or that level of play that is so far above and beyond anybody that's come before him that that's what we're seeing out of him. And and it was and it was the major reason Chelsea were able to counterattack. It was the major reason why they were able to maintain pressure many, many times in this city um, against the city midfield. It, it, it's kind of the way you beat City, right? Is if you can clog up their midfield, you can break down a lot of their attacking capabilities. And that's what they did. Their their defensive composure was excellent. Conte, his work rate with Jorginho in the middle was phenomenal. And and they turned that counterattack into that Kai Havertz goal and and basically just locked it down after that, despite losing a guy like Thiago Silva, um, you know, which which was a massive loss for them. But the, again, uh, the team played well as a team. They 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 completed their roles. They did what they had to do. And and ultimately they lived uh, like Ray Hudson says, the trophy with the big ears. And, uh, and, and it was a fantastic final for me. One of the better finals we've had in the past few years. And and hopefully the rest of them go the way that one did. Um, 
So again, congratulations to Villarreal for winning the Europa League and congratulations to Chelsea Football Club for winning the Champions League. And the two of them will square off in the Super Cup coming up sometime soon. Let's table that discussion and really table our discussion on the 2020-2021 footballing season in Europe because it's over. Um, moving on next week, uh, we start European competitions. We start, um, our world cup qualifying in South America, uh, and as well as North America, we are going to see matches played, uh, in the Copa America coming up in July. There's, there's plenty to talk about on the schedule, but, uh, the, the European season is over. MLS actually, actually after today takes a three week hiatus for this, uh, international break. So we've got plenty to talk about, even though everyone's going to be on break. Um, and let's start that conversation with our good friend Nima Tavale. Nima was able to join us just a few minutes ago. We talked about the insanity that was the coaching carousel over 72 hours in, in, in Europe, uh, primarily in Italy, where ultimately we're going to see eight of the top 10 coaches de- uh, depart from their jobs or get sacked from their jobs, which I think is an incredible number. Uh, only uh, Stefano Pioli at Milan and uh, Gasparini at Atalanta will be staying on after that. 10 coaches. We've seen Dejerbi already land at Shakhtar Donetsk. We've seen Max Allegri come in. We've seen uh, the interviews with Conte coming over to Real Madrid with Zidane leaving. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts, and we got to talk to Nima about that. We got to talk about the upcoming Euros as well and uh, and dive deeper into the Inter project that's becoming more of the Pazza Inter that everyone's familiar with. So without further ado, the Nima Tavale interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from SemperInter.com, our good friend Nima Tavale. Nima, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I want to jump in, uh, obviously, with the big match yesterday, uh, Chelsea winning 1-0 over Man City. I'd like to get your reaction on the match, what you thought of it overall. Um, it was, um, well, I mean, it was it was pretty interesting. There's a couple of things I take away from that. Um, the notion that, you know, overall that, Teams who play with a three-man defense can't win the Champions League. Uh, that, that, that's, that's clearly not true. Um, the notion, this notion that attacking football is the only way to win in Europe, that's clearly not true because uh, Chelsea were, were, were doing their best uh, Italian uh, counter-attacking, uh, deep defending uh, a la Antonio Conte, the way that, I mean, obviously not as not, not his calcio verticale, they played completely differently, but they did play very deep, they defended deep, and they played smart in a one-off game in a final against the team who you know how they're going to behave. I think, uh, you know, it's you want to win that final, and that's what Tuchel did. I couldn't agree more. It was, you know, Tuchel, it's funny, we, we talk about the two coaches and how they may um, overthink things. I think Tuchel kind of simplified it a little bit more than than Pep Guardiola did. And like you said, use that counterattack. That's where the goal came from, from Kai Havertz. And, and I thought it was a, a masterful job by him. And, you know, no, we shouldn't frown on, on the job Guardiola did either because I thought, for me, the, the match was um, a little more active than I expected in the first 30 to 45 minutes. I, I thought there were, there were more chances created than I had expected. Um, I, you know, usually these matches start out pretty drab because nobody wants to make that mistake, but I didn't see that in this match. No. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it depends on what perspective you decide to take. I mean, I, I remember when, uh, when Jose Mourinho was deemed a complete failure at Real Madrid, uh, going up against probably, if not the best club team of all time, then certainly one of them, that Barcelona, and dethroning them domestically. And he was deemed a complete failure because he didn't take them to a Champions League final. Only he built together a team that later became that Real Madrid side that dominated Europe. Uh, Pep Guardiola has spent the the equivalent both in net and grow and, and gross uh, in in transfer fees of what the gross national product of a of a of an average state in the world and he's made one Champions League final which he lost um, you you can't but call that a failure despite all the you know all the ball tricksing and goal records and you know passing sideways and triangles and all all that's great look at the results. No, he's not done anything in Europe um, since Barcelona, to be honest. And that's that's just true. But, I mean, obviously, that's not the narrative that the pro-tiki-taka, beautiful football folks want to push. But it's nonetheless true. It's true. Um, let's uh, let's jump into the some of the other things because the... 
this week, and there was a 72-hour period, Nima, which was absolutely bananas. Um, and you would expect it in around, <laughs> but you would expect it around the transfer window in terms of you know big players moving, and we can talk about Donnarumma in a little bit. But my God, the coaching carousel just went off the rails and down the street. And I want to get your perspective to start on it because Antonio Conte was one of the big horses in that carousel. Um, Suddenly goes from, um, you know, meeting with Inter's top brass to mutually parting ways, I believe. And also I want to I want to ask you if if this is true, that there was a clause in his departure contract that basically said he couldn't re-sign in Italy. Um, We see him move on. We see Allegri come in. We see, you know, uh, it looks like Luciano Spalletti is going to Napoli. Um, We see Christophe Gautier over at Lille step down. We see Zinedine Zidane move. I mean, just absolute insanity. Um, but let's let's take the first piece of it because I think and the piece you're probably most familiar with. Let's take um, let's take Antonio Conte. Um, obviously, moving on, um, and the other cog in that wheel now apparently is going to be Simone Inzaghi leaving Lazio and going to Inter. What were your thoughts on that whole? I don't want to call it a disaster, but my God, it was like a dumpster fire as it happened. Oh, it, it was a disaster. They they no one can in their right minds claim that that was handled good well. By anyone, um, it, <laughs> I mean, especially the inter directors in Suning. I mean, they've uh, they've been away. I mean, Stephen Zhang, the president, has not been in Italy, obviously because of you know restrictions and all that. But throughout this entire mess, Antonio Conte and Beppe Marotta have been left to deal with all that. You know, the COVID outbreaks and. You know, obviously everyone had to defer payments, not just inter of wages, because when there's nothing coming in, uh, because you're playing in front of empty stands and sponsorships payments aren't being made because the entire global economy is grinded to a halt and no one's doing anything or producing anything. So that's not just an inter thing; that's for everyone. But but the way that I mean, for a year now they've they've had time to prepare for this, and it, and it's quite clear, and you know that they weren't prepared because. I don't under. I mean, again, Beppe Marotta and Antonio Conte have, you know, not just have to de- deal with all this stuff, but they've also had to deal with the, with the rumors that Suning created. You know, Suning was a huge source of, uh, of instability uh, at Inter this season. Uh, in January, when they started talking about eventually selling the club, which is an absolutely earth, you know, that's an earthquake at any football club. And obviously Inter has the characteristics it has. So everything becomes magnified by a hundred, but Conte and Marotta kept that, that team together, that club together. They got everyone to unite and fight for the cause. And it ended up in a situation where you have a group of players who, who, you know, when they say that, you know, Conte was their big brother. You can really see that these guys love each other. It's complete harmony and balance. They all were striving towards the same goal. Um, the key players of that dressing room absolutely love Antonio Conte, and he loves them. Um, and uh, you can understand. I mean, it was a very difficult year, and I've been very critical of Antonio Conte in the past that he's he's usually the source of uh, of, of, of of a lot of unnecessary, unforced errors and conflicts. This past year, he's, he realized that at Inter, you have to be the uniting factor. You cannot do what he's done at Juve and Chelsea and, you know, throw, throw, throw hand grenades, verbal hand grenades at the directors because at Inter, that, that kind of everything disintegrates when you do that. Um, but he, he was quite the opposite. He didn't say a word. He didn't complain about anything or anyone. He didn't say anything. I think it was very classy of him, actually, to not speak to the media for the past four weeks because he didn't want to shift focus away from the footballing matters. And the footballing matters are that Inter won the Scudetto under him and the ending, dethroning Juventus, you know, decade dominance in the most emphatic way possible. Completely, you know, this spring, Inter have completely mopped the floor with every team in the Serie A, uh, objectively. I mean, that Juve game, Inter were, you know, it ended 2-0. But I mean, if if, if the scoreline were to reflect how that game went, it should have been five, six, seven nil. Inter were completely dominant. Juve had nothing. Uh, the Derby, same thing with Derby against Lazio, against uh, you know wins against Atalanta. I mean, they beat everyone. They beat every single team, um, and they did so convincingly. So it's it was a, it's been a roller coaster season, and obviously it all you know it always at Inter everything is is you know there are no. 
I always say that we are Inter is FC bipolar, and and that's that's how it works at Inter. It's either shit or champagne, if you don't mind me swearing. And and Inter <laughs> is always like that. There's no in between. And so, of course, it had to go from celebrate lifting the Scudetto trophy aloft at the, you know, with 50,000, 30,000 people, how many there were at the San Siro to the next day, uh, basically him walking away. And I can understand why he would do that, because when you've built something as hard as he did, and this past year has been difficult for him, it's aged him. It's aged everyone. Um, And he's managed to come out on top. And then they tell him that, look, as a reward for your hard work, we're going to dismantle this thing you've built up. And he, at that point, he's like, you know what, I'm done. I, I don't think anyone can criticize him for that. And he was already on his last year of contract and he wanted to, he wanted to stay and continue because he's not, a, he's not a stupid man. He's a very smart man. He knows that team has so much potential with him and they needed to strengthen. And if not strengthen, then at least keep the core group together and then Suning comes in and says, we're cutting wages by 20%, which everyone is doing. That's not a big, big thing. But then you have to make a net transfer gain this summer of 80 to 100 million euros. That's, you know, that's just unforgivable. That's, that's a dismantling. And, and uh, I understand that he was pissed off, for lack of a better word. And I think he did the, I think he did the right thing. He walked away. Um, and, and I think that's what you have to do. I think it's better that you walk away than to stay and, and be bitter and, 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 and angry and, and not be able to work in a constructive way. I think he did the right thing and, and he, will, he will always be remembered for that in the same way that Trapattoni was remembered at Inter. I mean, this, was a, you know, this, wasn't, this wasn't an Inter day record in that sense, but 101 goals across all competitions, um, you know, least amount of goals uh, conceded, despite having a goalkeeper who made the most howlers in the Serie A, who was way past his best. That's all down to a structural solidity that he, no one but he built up. Neem, I wanted to jump in because given the crisis that's kind of happened and, you know, you mentioned the lack of communication from Zuning, do you think that someone like, and I don't really personally think it'll happen, but maybe because of everything that's been going on that someone like Pepe Marotta might leave? That's a good question because Pepe Marotta, Alessandro Antonello, the other CEO, and Piero Auxilio, all of, uh, and Dario Bacin, the assistant to, uh, uh, to uh, Piero Auxilio, they, all of their contracts expire in June 2022. Um, that's, that's in a year. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a serious issue, uh, that, that needs to be addressed. And I think they're kind of waiting, uh, to see how Suning behave. If they, if they intend to dismantle this project and they feel that this is, you know, if, if we reach in November and December and Auxilio and these guys haven't extended their contracts, then I'd be very worried. I'd really be worried. That means that they don't believe in it. And when Marotta doesn't believe in anything, that's when the alarm the alarm bells should not be ringing. They should be screaming. Um, and that's that's what I fear will happen. Um, I, this is, you know, I, I don't have a good sensation about this at all. I think Suning have screwed up big time here. And I've, you know, I've been very positive to what they've done because objectively what they've done since they've taken over has been overwhelmingly great and positive and good for, 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 for Inter and uh, you know the investments they bring, they brought in the, the the brand growth and partners and and all the stuff that they've done off the pitch to grow this band and uh, to grow this brand and also you know before the you know the shut the lockdowns the, the Inter had the highest I think the fifth highest average attendance in Europe you know all of the stuff that they did was fantastic and phenomenal but they should have sold the club in January there's no doubt about that when they got an offer for BC from BC partners they should they should have sold and instead they've taken out a very risky loan, uh, placing their ownership of the club as collateral. Um, and it's quite clear that they, 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 they seem to think that they're going to be able to make the payments on that loan this year by selling a big player, hoping, praying that the world economy opens up again and the stadiums open up again at full capacity and that they can bring people in. But, you know, it's it's a risky game they're playing. I, I'm not. I'm I'm worried. I'm am not convinced by them at all. Uh, by by what can happen in the future, and it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Inter got or Suning got elliated out of Inter the same way that uh, me, me Yong Hong Lee got elliated out of Milan by Elliot. 
Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of dominoes that are in factor on this one. So looking into, obviously, the future, at least when you look at the touchline, obviously the rumors, if they are true, that Inter will appoint Simone Inzaghi as their new manager. Um, mm. a kind of a two-part question. Number one, how do you feel, or first of all, how, what's your reaction towards that, and how do you feel of him coming in as that replacement for Conte? And secondly, going back to Conte, you know, what's next for him? I mean, you know, I'm sure he has a lot of offers. I'm sure... There's a lot of interest towards him, but I'm curious to think what you feel is his future now. Um, I've anyone who's followed me on social media or seen me, you know, in, in any in any podcast or any situation where I've spoken about Simone Inzaghi will know that I I I, I penned, uh, you know, will know how much I like this guy. I wrote a I wrote a I, found, I wrote a, a column for the now defunct English version of Calcio Mercato about about three and a half four years ago about how I thought back then that Simone Inzaghi was the next Italian super coach after Antonio Conte. And I've only been strengthened in that conviction since then because he's achieved some amazing things. And if we're perfectly honest, if it wasn't for the pandemic, Lazio could have been the, the, the squad that dethroned Juve already a year ago for winning the Scudetto, which in and of itself is an absolutely insane feat uh, to be in the top four with, with those limited resources. Uh, he's very similar to Conte tactically. He's not as brilliant and you know, creative, because he's not a tactical genius like Conte, because Conte sees things that literally no one else sees. Um, and, and, but the professionalism, the, the meticulous level of preparation, the discipline, the hard work, the, the, the you know, the, 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 the football of everybody who has to run and work hard as a team, um, he's very similar to Conte in that way. Um, I think he'll be, Inter won't be as vertical, he'll be much more direct, uh, in that sense, um, because Conte's Conte's calcio verticale when it when it worked under Inter is this this these past six months have been some of the most beautiful football I've ever seen. Abs- I mean, it, it really was beautiful uh, the way that they dismantled teams and they could hurt teams in so many different ways because of the fact that they were so versatile in how they attacked. Whether if they were in the transition phase from defense to attack. They went from a 3-5-2 to a 4-2-4 with Brozovic dropping deep, forming a two-man defense with Defray, Skriniar and Bastoni going into the full-back position. And then the wings, wingers, wing-backs became wingers, Hakimi Perisic. And then you had, you know, you could play them the wide or you can play them down the middle with Lukaku linking up, playing off of Lautaro. I mean, teams just had no answer to that. And I think that's a football that would have worked great in, in, in Europe. Um, will, will Simone Inzaghi continue that? I don't, I, you know, we'll, we'll, that remains to be seen. But he, you know, he played some something kind of like that, but a little bit more direct at Inzaghi uh, at Lazio. So that, but but I mean, I I am a huge fan. I think you know this is a. I mean, if Inter can only sell one player, if 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 it is Hakimi that's leaving, and personally, I get rid of Lautaro. I think you don't sell Ashraf Hakimi. Uh, you, you just don't if you're going to play a three-five-two. It's it's insane. But if you you know if they have to only sacrifice one. And it's going if and it's only Hakimi, then fine, okay, we can live with that. But if it's going to be more than that, that's a dismantling, and we're going to put it's going to put him in a really awkward position. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to say where where Inter are and and how he'll do. But I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's he's just you know he's he's similar to Antonio Conte in every way. It's just that he's a little bit more toned down. It's like it's like his, it's he's not as brilliant tactically because he's not a genius like Conte. But it's like Simone Inzaghi is the kind of guy who's he's Conte, but without the need for beta blockers. <laughs> he's a little, little less unhinged. Um, and to, what, what's as for Conte and what's next for him? I think Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid is where he where he uh, will go next, and I think that would be that will be that will be an ideal solution for him. And because uh, because you know Madrid need a little bit of new thinking and and the kind of football that he plays would be very successful. There's going to be some problems in the beginning, as, as, it, as there always is when Conte waltzes in. Uh, but eventually, if they stick it out with him, I mean, Conte's the kind of guy, I mean, it's true of all coaches, and it's kind of a little bit of a cliche, you have to back up your coach. But with Conte, it's really true. If you bring in Antonio Conte, you have to back him 110% all the way. If you do that, chances are, based on his CV, he will, he will succeed. He will absolutely succeed. Um, and what I mean by backing is not just these, you know, signings, because sometimes he goes off the rails with Vidal and Kolarov and, and makes these stupid, you know, signings that make no sense. Or, or when at Chelsea, when he sends text messages to Diego Costa that he doesn't want him and then turns his phone off for the summer. 
you know, not not that kind of stuff, but the the, the Conte we've seen at Inter, the guy who's creative and does the best with what he's got to work with. Um, you know, if you back him in that sense in, towards the, the 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 dressing room and tell him that to get behind this guy, um, then then they will that that team will succeed domestically for sure. Um, I think that you know Antonio. If you know your Antonio Conte history, you know that he he always want, has wanted to play or started playing even a four-two-four. And ever since then, you know, when he took over at Juve, he, he re- quickly realized that he can't start playing, start the start the games in a four-two-four, but he has to play a three-five-two and then kind of transition into a four-two-four. It didn't work at at um, at Juve, so instead he used you know he he tried to use his midfield with vidal to to outpace and outrun and uh you know outpower everyone um at chelsea he played a 343 um didn't you know ss 352 and 424 didn't really work he didn't have the players with the traits who who could play like that but at inter it, it was a well-oiled machine that 352 424 transition worked completely so smoothly his calcio verticale worked smoothly like it never has before and I think that's he's 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 realized that that's where he that's where the future lies because that's a, that's a, I think that's a very winning way of playing you know in Europe even and at Real Madrid Champions League is always the 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 objective to to win that tournament so will if he goes to Real Madrid and they they back him in that sense I think you know they'll probably win the league um, and though you know then then as for Europe it depends I mean it depends on the players they bring in and. Who stays and who goes, and that's an entirely hypothetical, you know, discussion. But I still think that he will go to Real Madrid. It's just the feeling I get. The pressure is on for him, that's for sure, because there are just so little clubs out there in the world that expect you to win everything, like at Real Madrid. So it'll be interesting to see those kind of uh, personality clashes between him and Florentino Perez, and obviously the other managers that are there in. In La Liga. I wanted to switch gears real quick. Obviously, you know, heading into the summer now that the domestic season is over. Obviously, the big tournament in Europe is the Euros. And, you know, I think this is kind of um, kind of interesting that we speak about this, you know, 24 hours or almost 24 hours removed from the Champions League final where we had someone like N'Golo Kante just boss it out onto the pitch and have done completely well. But, you know, Nima, I just wanted to ask. And, you know, looking at all the teams that are starting to announce their squads and, you know, there are a few teams that may have come with surprises, but, you know, personally, and I think now it makes even more, they become even more deadly with the inclusion of Karim Benzema. I don't see how any team in the world is able to stop France. I mean, do you agree with that or do you feel that maybe there is someone out there that could indeed stop this team? I don't see France as being such an un, un, you know unbeatable force that everyone wants them to be. Uh, I think they're definitely one of the favorites, but to me, Germany... Uh, Belgium, I mean, we'll have to wait and see De Bruyne's condition, but he looked like, I mean, he looked okay, so we'll have to hope, hopefully he's fit. For me, it's it's Belgium, France, uh, Germany, with Italy and England uh, as the outs- and Portugal as a little bit outsiders, um, and then Croatia as the, the dark horse. That, that's how I see it. I don't think France are unbeatable at all. I don't see them, I don't see it like that at all. I think they've got a good team for sure, but Germany are no mugs, and neither are, are, are Belgium. You know, I just want to jump in here real quick. The early reports I saw on De Bruyne was that he had a fractured nose and eye orbital. Um, so, like you said, it's gonna we're going to have to wait and see how, how, how quickly he can get back onto the pitch, if he can get back on at all, because um, that's a pretty serious injury, uh, as long as there are no complications. So we'll have to see. What are your thoughts on, uh, on Italy? Obviously, you know, still bringing a, a young side, uh, but certainly an experienced side, um, you know, when, especially when you talk about Italy's midfield um, being led by guys like Varati and Barella. Um, you, you know, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that team? What's, what's going to be their end game in this one? And, and, you know, can they upset the cart here? Yes, they can. I think Italy has a really, really good squad, uh, and and they have a coach who, who's built. This is his team. This is his group of players, um, and they all buy into the, the how he wants to play. And Italy are a difficult team to play uh, because of uh, how you know they, they 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 really can hurt you in so many different ways. It's not you know they they're 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 solid defensively, but they're also that midfield, that central midfield has so much intelligence you know and, and the technical and tactical uh, ability that I'm I'm really impressed um with with the the plethora of central midfielders 
of, of high-quality central midfielders that, that Italy have. I mean, Jorginho, Barella, Sensi, uh, Castrovilli, uh, um, you know, what's his name, Veratti, uh, you know, you could go on for days. I mean, Locatelli, I mean, they have so many good central midfielders. So for him, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, for Mancini uh, that way. Uh, as for this, you know, people make it, but they don't have a number nine. Yeah, but they don't really play with that kind of a number nine. The number nine they use is, is Andrea Belotti, who in that number nine role is the, is, the, is the guy who works hard and creates space for the others. His role isn't exactly to be a to be a poacher. It's more as a, you know, target and link-up guy, and he does that brilliantly for Italy. Uh, in, in many ways, he's, he reminds me of Edin Dzeko, um, uh, in in that sense, but I you know even though I think Edin Dzeko is better and you know if you want to be a little bit facetious you can call him a poor man's Edin Dzeko but um, no I I think Italy will do well I really do uh, that midfield I think they've got good the very good defense you know uh, Bastoni Acerbi Chiellini Bonucci etc etc and then you you know Di Lorenzo uh, Lazzari etc I mean they they have so many players that that Florenzi is doing really well. For PSG, I mean, no, there's there's a lot that can. Uh, they they have a lot of talent, uh, and 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 I and I mean Chiesa, Berardi. No, I'm I'm not. I, I really see Italy being a very difficult team for teams to break down this summer. Definitely, the the number one uh, in Italy right now is Gigio Donnarumma, and apparently he is going to be out at AC Milan. Um, you know, and and this is also goes back to his uh, to his agent as well. Um, Mino Raiola stirs the apple cart like no one else. Uh, right now, the leaders of getting Gigi Donnarumma are looking like uh, Juventus, uh, Barcelona as well. But uh, apparently there is an injury uh, scare with Kaylor Navas at PSG, and now PSG have entered the mix too. Where do you see Gigi Donnarumma landing, and does, does anything happen before the Euros, or do you think all of this happens after the Euros? I think... Um... It's you know it's quite clear that um, Raiola overplayed his hand here um, because Donnarumma wanted to stay at Milan, but he wanted obviously a better a better contract. But unfortunately for them, it's the pandemic happened, and it's not the pre-pandemic levels anymore. No one can, you know, Milan. And I think Milan did the right thing. I think what Maldini did, and they really did it right. They you cannot if you're going to be a bandiera, if you're going to be someone who's central to this to a club's project, you can't hold that club to ransom every two three years for for a contract extension. You know, this wasn't the first time that we've seen this complete shit show and chaos by Donnarumma and Raiola. And at some point, you know, something has to give. And, and Maldini, if anyone knows what Milan is and the values of Milan and how Milan, you know, the respect for the club and that Milan comes first, it's him. It, it's, nobody embodies that more than him. So he just had to, he had to make that hard decision. It's, it's obviously difficult for them that he's leaving. But, you know, it's, they, over, you know it's, they overplayed their hand. I still think that Donnarumma goes to Juve. Uh, I expect Juve to offload Chesney uh, and bring in Donnarumma on a free, which is a fantastic signing. Yeah. Um, so, so my money is on on Juve. On Juve, it would it, it, it suits the new Juve under Allegri without Paratici there uh, to uh, to bring it, it. It makes more sense for him to go there. Yeah. But I mean, of course, I mean going to Barcelona it, that makes no sense because Barcelona are, are you know I understand that they want to sign a lot of players on free transfers, I mean, Aguero, et cetera, to make Messi happy. But, I mean, how exciting is it to go to Barcelona right now? They, do, they hardly have an, a, you know, a, an, an exciting project. They've got an aging Messi who was not signed for, this, for, signed for Barcelona, who is not even extended with the club. They basically owe him half a billion euros in unpaid uh, wages and you know, uh, bonuses. I mean, you know, it's it's not. Yes, Messi's a fantastic player, but Barcelona aren't exactly the most exciting project in Europe right now. Whereas Juve is much more exciting. Milan, in my opinion, is the most exciting one. They 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 were they're really going places. They have the, you know, out of the, all the top four teams in the in the in the in Europe's top four leagues, they have the youngest age squad. They have the youngest age uh, average. Um, of their squad, and that's including Ibrahimovic and Mandzukic. So, Mario Mandzukic. So, <laughs> now Mandzukic is left. So, no, it's Milan have a really exciting squad going on. And, 
uh, a really interesting project going on there. And I think it would have been better for him and for Italian football if he'd stayed there. But again, Maldini did the right thing. I think he did the right thing. You cannot be held ransom to this guy. And, and these these tactics are so sopranos, you know, this, mm. this, 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 I mean, this, this sopranos, pseudo mafia, Goomba attitude of Raiola is just, you know, it's, it was fun for 15 minutes, but it's been like 15 years and, and it's nobody's, you know, in this situation, people, you know, yeah, he represents the best and he's a fantastic agent. But at some point, you know, you have to make a decision. Do you want to have anything to do with this guy? And you see that more and more clubs don't. Um, and, and and they try to limit their dealings with him as much as possible. Yeah, I think people are getting tired of the act, that's for sure. Um, Nima, thanks again for coming on the show and joining us. Always a pleasure. You're one of our great friends, and when crazy things like hap- like this happen, we, we want to run to you first uh, almost all the time. So, again, thanks for being there for us, and looking forward to having you back again soon, my friend. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. I love what you guys do, and, and keep doing it. And uh, whenever you need me, I'm here. And special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got, uh, (laughs) we should have a quiet week, but we certainly don't have a quiet week this week. Um, We're going to start out this week in terms of matches with CONCACAF Nations League coming up uh, midweek. It looks like the third, actually, we we really jump into things on on the third of June here coming up on Thursday. We have Honduras, Mexico, I'm sorry, Honduras, USA at... uh, at 7.30 p.m. in the CONCACAF Nations League. And we have Mexico-Costa Rica at 10 o'clock in the uh, CONCACAF Nations League. World Cup qualifiers actually kick off this week as well. Also going to be on Thursday the 3rd. We have Bolivia-Venezuela at, uh, that is uh, 4 o'clock. We have at 6 o'clock, Uruguay-Paraguay. 8 o'clock, Argentina-Chile. 8.30, Brazil-Ecuador. And at 10 o'clock at night as well, Peru-Colombia going to close out our World Cup qualifications this week. We also have European Nations League coming up on Sunday and Monday next week. We can talk about those on our next show as well as we get into the semifinals of that competition as well. Uh, And then we will come back next week and talk about the Euros, which will kick off June 11th. Hopefully the I'm sorry, Copa America, which will kick off June 13th. The other big uh, competition will be this summer, a little later on, the Gold Cup here in in North America kicking off on July 10th. So certainly going to get a very small break as we jump back into world competition as well in a very, very busy summer, making up for uh, 2020 and 2021. So before we uh, kicked off the show, you, my friend, gave us a great trivia questions about, about the Champions League. Why don't you lay it back on us, my friend? Absolutely. So Manchester City, due to their loss um, to Chelsea, was the eighth team to make its European Cup final debut since 2000. All eight of them have lost. Who was the last team to win on its first finals uh, appearance in the Champions League? I think, if I remember what I saw correctly, um, and, and I'm, I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to give you Stau Bucharest because I thought that's the name that I saw in the listings. It is not Star Book Arrest. Okay. You're a few years removed, so it's okay. a bit more recent. Uh, I'll give you one more, and I'm going to totally spitball it, and I'm going to, you know, just because I can, I'm going to say Juventus. It is not Juventus. Okay. You were off by one year, at least the last time that Juventus won the Champions League. It was in 1997, and it was Borussia Dortmund who was wow. the last team to do it. Fantastic question. I, like And like you said, there were plenty of teams. Like you said, Arsenal, I think Valencia was the first one. Uh, to start that streak against Real Madrid, if I remember correctly, seeing that list, um, and there obviously we had we saw PSG last year, like you'd said, we we see City this year, um, but that is a great trivia question, my friend. So, without any further things on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 328 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us. Next week, we will preview the Euros for you coming up uh, the following week. We will also talk about CONCACAF Nations League. We'll talk about Champions League. Um, We'll talk about World Cup qualifying as well. So for episode 328 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.